G'day, and thanks for tuning in to Anything Goes. I'm your host, Edwina Robertson, aka Eddie to most people. This show is brought to you with the intention of sharing interesting stories, experiences, and conversations, well, from mostly normal people. I do advise that this episode discusses death and loss, and that is shared with listener discretion. Welcome back to the show. Today is a story of a little bit of loss, but a little bit of love. It's a beautiful balance, I think, and (laughs) it's a very hopeful, optimistic story, I feel. Now, I don't, as per usual, I don't know all the nitty-gritty, but... That's why we have our guest, Natalie Olson, here to share something that's happened, quite significant that's happened in her life. So, Natalie, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. Natalie, who who are you? Where do you live? What do you do? What does your family look like? Um, So, I'm a mum of three and I live in Sydney uh, with my husband. We moved here about 12 months ago from Canberra, but we've kind of lived all over the place. So life is full on busy in uh, motherhood. I have a five-month-old and a seven- and ten-year-old. I'm also a coach. I coach for another program, for another coach. And, yeah, it's just I love that. It's just really about supporting people to um, connect with themselves and I just help them integrate past experiences. So that's kind of like life coaching, would yeah, you say? Yeah, I call it uh, transformational coaching, I think is the, the easiest way to explain it to a lot of people. And how long have you been doing that for? Whew, I have been coaching clients for three three years now. What is your story to share, Natalie? Yeah, so I guess let's rewind time and go back to the beginning. In 2005, I was dating someone and we'd been together for almost 12 months and he he died um, in a, like in a tragic accident. We were really big into wakeboarding, and we'd often go wakeboarding and get up really early. And one morning, he went out with the boys on a really awesome wakeboarding session. Apparently, it was a really, really good session. They had an awesome morning, and they decided to finish it all off by jumping off the bridge, just to you know that last hurrah for for the morning and um he was the last to jump and hit the water and knocked himself unconscious and and drowned so yeah that was Mm. I would say the hardest thing um that I've had to ever had to go through so not only did he die in that moment I was also the first person to be called um like I believe someone was yeah like on the phone to had called triple o and someone had had called me so did they realize his friends he was with did they realize once he had impacted the water that he was unconscious like did they act quickly enough or or no yeah that it was a really hard thing uh, for, for the boys who were there to process. So what had happened, he had jumped and then they didn't, so he, they didn't realise he was unconscious. That's what we've uncovered later. Mm-hmm. So he's hit the water, wanted to show off a little bit and like do a flip and has over-rotated and hit the water and he lay there floating for a while but face down 
And so the boys thought he was joking and then they realised he wasn't joking, but no one was in reach. Like no one was within reach to be able to get him. And um, what I've found out after is that, yeah, if you're unconscious in the water face down, basically your lungs fill up with water and you sink. So it's tragic. Yeah. Like so how long after the accident do you think they actually got to his body? Like after, you know, after impact to the water, how long do you think it took for them to, um, to It him? took police divers to find his body. So oh. we didn't find his body until I'm going to say oh. eight or, yeah, almost eight to ten hours. Oh, right. So they were, your, his mates didn't get to him and then try and resuscitate him and no. it was too late. No. He just. He was the last to jump. They were all like, you know, you jump and then swim back mm. to the boat. So someone stayed in the boat, the boys jumped, and then, yeah. I was actually asleep in his in his, in his bed at his house and I get the phone call and I'm like half asleep answering the phone and one of his best mates is like, you know, gone through the story, like he's jumped, we can't find him, we can't find him. I'm like, what are you, what are you talking about? Like, I couldn't grasp what was going on, but I do, like I remember understanding that it was serious enough, and I think he asked me to tell his parents. So I walked upstairs to his parents' bedroom, knocked on like it's like six a.m. in the morning, knocked on their door and have have said my words were Chris went bridge jumping, they can't find him. And then the first thing that his mum screamed was, oh, my God, Chris is drowned. And, like, it was then that it, like, it hit me that I was like, Mm. oh, hang on a minute, like, Mm. fuck. Because, I like, I didn't get it. Like, it it just didn't, um, didn't drop in. And I remember being on the phone to his mate and his mate was like, all of a sudden went hysterical and that's kind of when it sunk in. It was like that moment and when his mum said, um, yeah, he's drowned. How old were you at the time? Uh, I was 20. And yeah. how old was Chris? Uh, 20, 20, just turned 21 earlier in that year, yeah. So really young. Yeah. And from then what happened? What did you do? Where did you go? It was such a blur. Um, mm. I just remember like you just – like my legs are shaking now, like just my whole body, you go clammy, um, started shaking, um, and like I don't really remember what happened exactly, but I remember we all got into the car, like his parents jumped out of bed. I was still in like my pyjamas, like this oversized T-shirt and boxer shorts or something, and we jumped into the car because we knew it wasn't too far from the house from where it was, where it had happened. We knew where it had happened at the river, which bridge they jumped off. So they drove around, like, I mean, like, frantically, like, horn beeping for people to move out of our way. And we got there. We can't see him. We can see the boys. We can see the boat, but we can't see him. And his parents in that moment realised that, like, I assume realised, like, he was gone. So they got in the car and they left. Like, it was too, it was too much and had, like, mm. left me there with the boys. And then, like, I just remember constantly looking at the water bank, like, is he going to, maybe he's going to come up. 
like maybe we'll see him maybe he's do you know what I mean there's a part of you that's so hopeful that perhaps he's somewhere like maybe he'll come up like maybe he like maybe we've just missed him maybe he's he's somewhere in the distance um but he wasn't and yeah the boys got out of the water uh one of his like his best mate got out and um was just like I'm so sorry I'm so sorry I'm so sorry like just saying that over and over and over and that gave me a hug (sighs) I think like I, I don't know what the time frame is but like what I remember after that the police officers arrived established that that I was the first person that was called that I was there like so everyone had to give a statement and somehow news had travelled, so more people started to arrive. But it, like, it, it's so surreal. Like, you have helicopters coming eventually, and police officers. So then, like, having to go and do a statement, but not wanting to leave the water's edge either. Mm. So, to be honest, I don't really remember exactly what happened. Um, it's actually quite interesting unpacking it right now it's like yeah that, like that part's really a blur yeah I remember just my stomach churning and like everything being overwhelming so I go to the to the police station give my statement the main thing I remember is it's just something like it's part of the process right like where you go oh what if I had told them not to go wakeboarding what what if I had said you know like maybe like why don't we go later or should I should I have gone along like you go through all the what ifs and I just remember the police officer like reminding me this is not your fault take a breath this is like Mm. this isn't your fault this is something really tragic that um that has happened but the worst part of it all is after that having to call. So he was originally, so this all happened on the Gold Coast and he was originally from uh, Sydney. He'd moved up for uni, like his parents moved up and he um, did uni on the Goldie and having to call his mates in Sydney and go, hey. That was your job to do that. I just assumed it was. Like I don't even remember how I made it back to um his house where his parents were and just I think I I don't know it just made logical sense that I would be the person that's then then calling his yeah, mates probably to say far too much for you, his parents to process and totally to, to yeah. see that this had happened yeah yeah sisters so they had to you know like they had family and that took all so had you had plans that weekend so it was Saturday morning did you say yeah, a Saturday or a Sunday. Um, okay, yeah. I'm, I'm assuming. I don't know. <laughs> like it's um, a blur. We, I don't remember having plans, but what I do remember is we all worked at a um, at a tavern together. So we all worked at the uh, at a bar together. So I knew that he had a shift later that day. So he would have had a shift either in the afternoon or in the evening. So mm-hmm. I then called our boss and said. Um, Chris has died like he's he's not coming in for shift and maybe I likely had a shift and I wasn't coming in for my shift either no one's going to be showing up for work today Mm. that's a really big responsibility for a you know you're basically a kid still you're 20 you haven't (laughs) been doing life as an adult for that long 
that's a huge responsibility to take on and to share this information with people who needed to know. I think that's a really huge thing. And I think in the time when you have trauma or an accident or tragedy like that happen, you just do it without kind of thinking. But that's exactly what it was. You're like, hang on, what? why was I doing this? What it was. It was me. Yeah. You just go into action. Um, well, I definitely did. Uh, went into into action mode of, okay, well, what needs to be done? Did you guys meet working at that tavern yes. or where did you guys meet? Yes. That's where you met. So you've yeah. been together for 12 months at that stage? Yeah, about that. Months. Yeah. And, and so all of our mates were, were, uh, were yeah. like we all kind of worked together. Yeah. Do you remember what the his last words to you were the morning before the accident? I don't remember the, um, the last words. But I do remember we'd all we'd work that night. So quite often, if we'd work together, I'd sleep at his house because it was closer. And then, because we all worked it at a bar, like it's not uncommon for us to have a few knockoff drinks. So we went back to his place, like with a with a few of the other boys, and they went down to the like they actually sat in the boat and had a couple of beers. I wasn't interested. I was tired. And I remember before falling asleep actually um, calling him like <laughs> from the bed to, to the boat to say, hey, like you're not you're not going out, like you're not going out on the boat, are you? Like and he's like and he's like, no, nah, we're just having a couple of drinks. And that was kind of the last of the conversation. Tragic. And I think that's, you know, it's part of the healing process is just understanding where we were in that time of our lives. Like we were in our mm. 20s having fun, living life to the fullest, like, mm. you know. So mm. living life to the fullest sometimes comes um, with risks. I assume there's, you know, I look, I've dealt with some tragedy myself and some trauma and, and from like, losing people or important people to accidents and I know after it happens it can it can be a blur and that's our brain protecting us from yeah. from that trauma I'm sure you understand and appreciate that what happened the week following the accident you know in terms of like the funeral and and arrangements for the funeral and was there uh, did they do an autopsy or anything like that? Like how did that all, all play out from what you remember? <sighs> so what I remember after calling calling his, his Sydney mates um, was just kind of figuring out where everyone was, how they were doing. Like there was definitely a concern for our friends about the boys who had been with him, the boys who were present at the time. So I think it was – like I just remember we grouped together at, at someone else's house and like it was just weird because you had to wait. We still hadn't heard from the police what had happened. So I decided with a couple of friends to go down to the police station where I had to give the statement to say, hey, like what's going on? Have they found his body? And it wasn't like their area they didn't really know like where things where things were up to. All all we knew was that divers were looking for his body. And then somehow, like, you know, it's one of those things. One pe- person fi- finds out something and it quickly filters through everyone that this is what it's what's going on. 
So his body was found. Um, you said eight to ten hours after the accident. Yeah, it was. The, it was a late in the afternoon, so it had That's happened. A long time. Yep. Yep. It's a long time to sit in the unknown and trying, like intellectually, you know, it's really unlikely that he's going to surface that he's going to come back uh, alive but there's a little part of you that in your heart is still really hoping that he's okay that some miracle thing has happened and he's okay but yeah that like that never came and um I know his parents and his sisters so his family they went along um I believe to to um identify um the body but it was really i do remember the strangest thing like so you go into action mode you organize the wake you organize the funeral his family organized a funeral we had organized to have the wake at um at the tavern because they had they had a function a function center there but i just remember almost being alert like i remember the first night was really weird because i couldn't sleep and I'm a really good sleeper. So not being able to sleep was the most bizarre experience. To feel the exhaustion in your body and to be tired and to close your eyes and then like you either just flick your eyes open or just the images that run through was, yeah, something that I had never experienced um, before and didn't actually know quite how to process were you living at home at that time with your parents or who were you living with at, when this happened? Yeah, so I was technically living at home, but as you do in your 20s in a relationship, you stay between the houses, but we yeah. spent a lot but of time. You had there. that support of your family then. You weren't alone. You could sort of retreat back to your family home to, yeah. to have their support during this time. Yeah, I think like a reflection of who Chris was, like he was liked and loved by everyone. He was so, so much fun. Like I his mates flew up straight away and everyone just congregated at his parents' house. And his parents were those lovely, welcoming parents, like loved having us around. So there was probably like, I don't know, five of us lying on his bed, like all trying to sleep, but no one being able to sleep. So in that sense, um, that was the one beautiful thing that happened immediately was that we all just went in together which is fabulous that you had that support yeah. of his friends and obviously they had your back too. Yeah, I was very much, um, yeah, everyone had my back and everyone was definitely checking on on me. How long after the accident or even the funeral did the the true grief and the, the actual reality of the accident set in for you, do you think? For me, it was the, the wake it was after the funeral and after the the wake, I just remember being overwhelmed, like, oh, my gosh, like, this has really, really happened. Um, it was a really interesting thing for that week after he passed. I remember not really being interested in alcohol, like I didn't want to drink. It was really bizarre in some way really wanting to be present with what had happened to, to some degree like I don't know <laughs> I don't know what was going on like call it like a, a higher power just looking after me and just reminding me to be um to be present but it was the morning after the wake 
um, I remember waking up and I started crying and I literally couldn't stop crying, like hysterical, <laughs> like couldn't get air, yeah, couldn't couldn't stop crying. Yeah. And following that, how was your relationship with his friends, particularly the friends who were there at the time? Did you, are you like, did you stay close? Yeah, it was like that is the beautiful thing of, uh, of that tragedy happening is we all remained really close. So I'm still friends with a lot of his um, close mates, both from the Goldie and um, in Sydney. Uh, I still catch up um, with one of his best mates from Sydney, which is really like, you know, that's really nice and really special. I think when you go through something like that, there's just this deep understanding and knowing that, that you share that doesn't need to be spoken about all the time or anything. You just have this deep. It's like a bond. Yeah. It's not, you know, not a trauma bond <laughs> per se, <laughs> but it's it's a bond created over a shared traumatic yeah. experience yeah. that you 100%. all felt this intense and huge loss and you all had to go through it together. Yeah. I mean, his parents were so love, like, were really lovely in the sense, like, they kept the wake boat, like, so it was his boat, his family's boat. They kept it for us for, I'm going to say, almost two years after, and we would still, we were still able um, to take it out and, you know, just still have fun and, I don't know, remember him that way. Because he was obviously doing something he loved. He lost his life doing something that was a fun and enjoyable thing for him. Yes. What I didn't know at the time was so he was prone to concussions. He had concussions before. I think, you know, like as a child falling over and bumping your head. He played basketball. Um, So apparently if you have concussions, you can be more prone to them. So it it seems like he's jumped off the bridge, over-rotated and then hit the way he's hit his head on the water. He's had a concussion and then drown yeah tragic yeah after that you just lost your boyfriend and i assume you guys were you worked together you were hanging out a lot even though you were young like i assumed you were pretty close and it was a really healthy and and fun relationship oh look i've had to do a lot of deep um reflection and shadow work on that we had a lot of fun and there was a lot of our relationship that was amazing and really lovely and at the same time there were uh yeah there were some toxic elements like I feel like I'm in a space now where I can um be honest but I mean you know what 20 and 21 year old really has that perfect (laughs) like you know has enough life experience to navigate Mm. um a serious relationship. We did have the pattern of breaking up, getting back together, breaking up, getting back together. So when things were good, things were really good. And things were really good actually right before um, right before he died. So that made it really hard and through the grieving process. So really held on to that. But as time time passed and for me to be able to heal and also let like let him go was acknowledging that we were we were never meant to be i don't think anyone can say they've had a healthy and and mature relationship at that age so you can't hold that against anyone i can now come to a 
place to say that I'm really grateful. Yeah, in a strange way, I'm really grateful for his death because I wouldn't actually have the life that I have now. And that's really hard to say because, of course, you would you would never wish that to happen, but it did happen. And because it happened, yeah, I have the relationship um, that I have and it sent me on this journey of of health and well-being and, yeah, like, and healing as well. So through this process of us all getting, we were all really close through the grieving process, definitely for the first six to uh, 12 months, um, we were super close. And I became really close with one of his um, best mates. And if you've ever been through a really hard time and had someone, had people hold space for you through the grieving process and see the good and the absolute worst side side of you, I think, like, that's where you start to understand so it was through the grieving process that Matt and I became uh, became closer, and Matt's your now husband. Matt's my now now husband. And looking back, I know that it's like I feel like we have a really grounded and deeply connected relationship because we saw each other through not only through the our hardest time of our life but we saw the worst sides of each other. We saw the extremes that that we would go to in, in the depths of our grief, in the depths of our anger, in the depths of our sadness. I won't lie, I definitely tried to distract myself with boys for a period there as well. Did and you date soon after? Definitely went out partying. Yeah, that that was definitely a big um, distraction for a while. I would say maybe a couple of months, a few months after I started started dating, and it was definitely um, a distraction. And it like, ugh, it's like it was the weirdest thing because probably for the first twelve months after he died, I would I would still call him my boyfriend. So it's a really weird situation to be in to feel like you still have a boyfriend but then you're dating dating someone some like it's a it's a real mind fuck to be honest. Mm. Um well, you often see widows or widowers yeah. and they're still wearing their wedding bands. Yeah. Like years after yeah. their partner has yeah has deceased. It's it are we all deal and process grief in different ways. And I think, you know, maybe you said that on the basis that obviously you knew he had passed, but you didn't really have to deal with processing that just yet. And we didn't have like a a traditional breakup. We never actually broke up. He died. So like, what do you do then? Yeah, never thought Never thought of it like that, but that's full on, you know. <laughs> yeah, but that was the thing. Like we yeah, didn't wow. break up, he died. So, well, like obviously yeah. the relationship isn't continuing, but like yeah. in this weird, there was definitely yeah, like a limbo. at the time. The things yeah. were healthy and happy and you were on a, in a going through a, gr- a good stage. So Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, there's no, I guess there's no formal ending per se. Yeah. But strangely enough, the benefit of that, because I've looked at it, is that you don't, (laughs) 
Like I, I because he died, there was no tension, right? Mm. Like he's dead. He's like I had the benefit. He's not going to date yeah. someone else, is he? Not that I know of. <laughs> I should laugh, and there's so much it's truth okay. in it. You can laugh, but yeah, like you're not going to go out and see him with another girl. Out. No, I'm not going to get triggered because I'm seeing him with a new girlfriend. <laughs> you're not going to get jealous or stalk yeah, him, no, and I'm not going to like crash the new girlfriend, and I'm not going to have to work at the bar with him anymore while he's with his new. Thing, um, no one has to get a new job. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Well, look, because breakups, breakups at the, the best times can be shit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a death in a different form, right? Mm. So, mm. yeah, it was, in that sense, it was, it was a lot easier. Strangely enough, so what happened was like six months after Chris died, I like I went to Europe. So I grew up um in France and Holland and I went I just went, you know what? I'm I'm getting I'm getting the F out of here. I'm going to just indulge in me. So I went over there and I just allowed it to be three months of all about nap. So like I was never alone, but I like each time I traveled to a city, I was traveling alone, but I was traveling to see someone. Okay. So that was amazing. But then I think it was because I left and Matt stayed in Australia. We spoke on the phone um, a couple of times and we're, we're texting each other constantly that it was kind of that old. 17, 18 years ago, that would have been expensive. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, it was kind of then that it clicked that, oh, hang on, like I'm, I'm, I'm still thinking about this guy and like we're constantly in communication and like I, yeah, I just felt really safe. How was your relationship with Matt prior to Chris's passing? Yeah, so it was definitely like always one of, one of Chris's friends, part of the group. I didn't meet him till a little bit later. So there was like there was this cohort that worked at the the bar together and we were all super, super close. And some of us went to uni together. Some of us went to high school together. But Matt um, went to uni um, with the boys but didn't work at the bar. So I I like I didn't really see him as much as some of some of the other boys. Um, but strangely enough, at some stage, Chris actually moved into where Matt was living for like a brief period uh, period of time, as you do when you go to uni and decide to leave home for a few months and then you move back. So, yeah, like we definitely got along really well. How long after Chris's death did you and Matt officially get together? Uh, officially? was shortly after I got back from Europe, so it was almost 12 months. And how do you think most of the friends felt about that new romance? Uh, Supportive? It was a hard thing to say. It was pretty obvious through the grieving process that we were getting closer. That was definitely obvious. I think people were like, oh, these two to a close I'm not sure if anyone actually thought we would take the next the next step so like for example because we still used to hang around at um Chris's house and if people were sitting like hanging out watching tv or whatever and like I'd walk into the room and Matt was sitting up like I would go sit on his lap so you know like in that sense people could Mm. tell that um that we were close and a strange thing as well was I didn't like sleeping alone so I often didn't sleep 
on my own because a lot of people slept in his bedroom, but like I'd often sleep next to um, sleep next to Matt. And how do you think Chris's parents felt when you and Matt were sort of together? They like in the end, it was easier because. Like, imagine a tight-knit group and I'm trying to bring in a guy from the outside. Like, that was virtually impossible. Like, they were never going to accept someone because it was never going to be to be Chris. So, for the most part, most of them were accepting of it. It was definitely um, way easier because they knew him. Do you think Chris would be happy with how your life's panned out and – yours and Matt's connection and obviously now you've got three kids and yeah together for some time do you think he would be he would be pleased for that scenario okay so this is how I kind of think it through in, in in my head so we didn't break up but we were never <laughs> we were never we, we were never meant to be, be together because he died so there is a part of me that strongly believes that he kind of set me free to have this beautiful relationship with Matt because Matt and I would have never have been together if he hadn't have died. Well, it brought you the grief and yeah, the, yeah. But let's shared, say Chris and I tragedy brought you together ultimately. Yeah, but let's say um, Chris didn't die and we broke up. Matt and I wouldn't have gotten together. So yeah, how would he feel about it? Yeah, I think he's happy. Look, there's, uh, I'm not quite sure how, how how to answer it. But because I've done so much work on it, I think Chris died to save a lot of us in a like in the in this in this weird way. Like he like he really woke us all up. Really woke us all up to life is short. Really woke us up to yeah, just rethinking how you want to how you want to live your life. So I guess that's kind of more that I think that he's he looks down. To be honest, I don't think about him looking down at, at us. And it's not that I don't believe that he's not watching over us because I still drop in and I'll have conversations with him or I'll like I'll like I'll ask for a sign or I'll ask um, ask for help. So in that sense, like I, I don't think he's angry or upset or anything like that that has transpired. So I guess in that sense, I like he's looking down on us happy. Have you ever worried or been fearful of losing Matt? Yeah, definitely. Like um, it's not as strong anymore. When you lose someone like that, it's not even, it's everyone you fear that you're like if a girlfriend doesn't get back to you like that first five years afterwards like it's it was a nightmare like you would um you have a missed call you'd call them straight back like mm-hmm. the, like making sure that everything's okay I'm a mum now so yeah I definitely it still drops in like has he had a car accident he's well mm-hmm. he's probably still in a meeting but it's like mm-hmm. is he gonna have a heart like is he gonna have a heart attack on um yeah. um on the way home, yeah. Do you celebrate Chris's anniversary every year or do you do anything to celebrate his life or are you sort of at a point, because it happened, what, 18 years ago now in 2005, yeah. are you at a point where obviously you might think about it on the anniversary of his passing but, you know, is there any kind of celebration or 
something you do? He's very much still alive in the fences. We still talk about him, like, and at, at weddings and stuff like that. He's like often acknowledged in um, in our group of friends, and when we get together and have those deep and meaningful conversations. For the first few years, yeah, every um, every anniversary. Mm. If you've been through the grieving process, like it's it's like waves, right? And these waves, like, are sometimes subtle that wash over you, and sometimes they can crash and wipe you out, and quite often very unexpectedly. And it took me quite some time to get to a point where, like, I. I noticed each year around his anniversary, I would just be sad. Mm. And sometimes I'd even forgotten, like it wouldn't be like a conscious thing. Yeah, that it was like Mm. that his death was coming up, that it would like your body remembers. Like it was just Mm. like I'd just be all sorts and I couldn't, like I couldn't figure it out. But over time and definitely Mm. um, in the last 10 years with the amount of healing I've done it's Mm. it's not as much and it's probably more yeah more of an open like gratitude feeling Mm. that that um that I sense but you know like when we'd go out we'd have Sam Booker shots because that was that was his um his thing so we'd have yeah we'd have those it's actually really hard so I'm I remained close with one of his um sisters because we both lived um close like in the same suburb of Sydney, so we would um, we would catch up. Um, that they moved, we moved. Um, so there's still a little bit of contact. I know that there's still um, a lot of love there with the family, but I think it for me it, it like I still find it um, quite triggering um, and quite hard because I think one of the things that I've had to realise is, and this isn't to say that I couldn't be close to them, but when a relationship ends, you quite often don't stay close with the family. That was that would probably be a rarity, right? So there's definitely a part of me that's had to move on and go, okay, like you guys are no longer together to a certain degree. I've had to let go. Yeah, it was really painful for me to not feel really close to the family. So it's easier to like pull back a bit. Yeah, I I appreciate that. And as you said, if it was any relationship that had a breakup, (laughs) you wouldn't talk to the family still. You wouldn't touch base with them 20 years on, you know. Yeah. So it was quite an unusual circumstance for the non-breakup, as we can call it. They they came to our wedding. Like we invited them to. Oh, lovely. Yeah, 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 definitely. Like there's still, like like I said, there's still a lot of love, but I've definitely pulled back um, because it's hard. Yeah. If you had your time again, would you ever avoid that relationship to not go through that tragedy? No, no way. Another thing that I'm really grateful for for that experience is knowing that I can make it through hard things and I can hold space um, through really challenging times. Like to go through that was like if I can make it through that, I can make it through anything. Anything. Yeah. Anything. What a beautiful beautiful way to look at the gain from such a loss yeah yeah definitely natalie thank you so much for sharing your story uh when you talk about the the accident you can see that obviously you know it was a really difficult and traumatic time of your life but you can also see that you've just 
turned it into an absolute blessing and you're so grateful because obviously you've got your wonderful Matt now and, and a beautiful family and Matt and yourself are really aligned. And, and you know, it, it happened 18 years ago not to negate the fact that it wasn't still tragic or a huge loss, but you've really made the most of it to to grow from that and heal from that and, and transform and, and have a beautiful life out of this absolutely horrific accident. So all, all power and credit to you. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in. In the aim of serving up interesting and enjoyable content, for the meantime, I've decided to remove all the ads. Creating this podcast is a true labour of love as it's owned and produced independently, not with a big network like most of the successful shows, and there's currently no financial gain in producing it. Each episode can take around 20 hours of prep work before it's released, and I pay an audio editor a substantial fee to edit each episode. Therefore, if you love this free content, I would be super appreciative if you could leave a five-star review for the show. Maybe you or someone you know has a great story that's worth sharing. If you do, please get in touch via hello at edwinarobertson.com.